0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, founding managing director of the Berkeley Institute for Arts Education and Special Needs, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. The guest host for today's episode is internationally celebrated mezzo-soprano, Sophia Grech. Hailed by the Sunday Times as a singer who delivers without effort, Sophia has won great acclaim and notoriety for her performances at leading concert halls, opera houses, and international festivals worldwide, leading to regular invitations to give masterclasses around the world. In 2015, Sophia was diagnosed with autism and she is now a leading ambassador on behalf of autism organizations. Her book titled, I Wish I Could Sing, was published in 2020. I hope you enjoy this episode hosted by Sophia Grech.
1: I'm delighted to be hosting today's Able Voices podcast, and I'd like to welcome my guest, British photographer Lucy McCarthy. Lucy, who was born with three hidden disabilities, has carved out a successful career as a photographer since graduating from the Birmingham Institute of Art and Design. She is well known for her photographic work within the music industry and has also been commissioned to photograph fashion events and even owner's pets. Lucy's work has been the focus of numerous major exhibitions in London, including one of the largest about the history of dance music. In 2018, Lucy was invited to join a project uncovering the legacy of the 90s rave culture. Lucy is also a campaigner for the awareness of invisible disabilities. Welcome, Lucy. We're so pleased that you could join us today for this Able Voices podcast.
2: Thank you, Sophia. It's really nice to hear from you. How are you doing?
1: Fine, thank you. Actually, before we start, um, could you tell us about your hidden disabilities, as I believe they're quite rare.
2: Sure, of course I can. Um, so I've got a con- condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, I was born with a condition and it's basically changed named a little bit over the years. Um, but now it's called ehlers Stanlos Syndrome.
1: Mm. Um, it's
2: a connective tissue disorder, which basically means um, I get injured very easily and um, I've broken a lot of bones, but mm. it can also affect the um, organs and the body as well. Like it can give you digestion issues. It can affect the heart. Um, it can affect the stomach, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, I've also got chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as ME. So uh, fatigue and tiredness can be an issue with me. And then also on top of that, I've got a condition called posterior orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. And it's a, an autonomic condition. So it's affected by uh, when I things that your body does automatically. So say when I stand up, um, just, just by standing up on my own, if I stand for too long, my heart will go tachycardic and I can feel quite dizzy. And uh, sometimes I can feel quite faint and sometimes pass out. So yeah,
1: trying to manage all those three can be a bit of a tricky one <laughs> yeah that sounds very difficult actually um well thank you for explaining that to our listeners because uh, indeed myself I hadn't have heard of a couple of those so that's you know it's very educational for, for us actually um now I'd like to start off by asking you to if you could tell us your story as a photographer so how did you start your career Yeah, so um, when I was at school, um, I've always been
2: really creative since I was born, really. I've always been uh, doing bits and bobs around the house and just just been a very creative child. But I was rubbish at drawing, so... You know, if, if I even now, if I drew you like a car, I'd still draw like a rectangle with circles. i really bad, <laughs> technically. So I've got no drawing skills at all. Not, and these I, thought, are well, t- I don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, how can I be creative? What which how am I going to um, convey that creativity and use it? Uh, so I thought um, I'll look at photography. So I learned photography at school. I had a really good teacher and he was really passionate about photography and um, encouraged me um, when I was a teenager to kind of get involved with it. Um, So I I studied photography for a while. I'll go through my training a little bit later with you. Mm. And um, I worked after my studying, I um, assisted ranking for a while just to get to know the industry. Um, When I was studying, I also worked for Harvey Nichols, uh, which is a well-known shop in the UK. It's like a luxury shop. And I was interested in the stories and concepts that um, designers um, bring out each season. I was interested in like watching Alexander McQueen videos and stuff. I was really interested in fashion. Yeah um so in terms of photography then I moved to London to work in retouching uh and retouching um everyone um photographers work so I was working at the biggest fashion photography studio in London which was Spring Studios Um, and that was working on fashion campaigns making everyone look beautiful Um, but I actually um, actually made me learn quite a bit about myself that I didn't actually like working on other people's work as much as my own Mm -hmm. it didn't give me it didn't give me much of a buzz
0: Mm. Um,
2: and I realized then that I'd probably be be better off working on something on my own um, and where I'm taking the images where I'm in control of it so I I decided to set up uh, Dr. Lou Little Pet Photography. Now, Dr. Lou Little Pet Photography the name Dr. Lunatul so is actually an old nickname that my sister gave me because um, I've always really, really loved animals. Like I, if I'm in a room of animals, I'm just so over the moon and happy all the time.
1: Yeah, I understand that. So I'm the same, actually.
2: Yeah, I prefer, prefer yeah. Animals. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I animals any day. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's do something that I really love and I find easy. So anyway, my sister gave me this nickname. I was five years old and she, we had these uh, tropical fish and I was training them to jump through hoops with some food and they did it. And she said, "You're like, um, you're like Doctor Doolittle. You're you're Doctor Loolittle because you're Lucy, Doctor Loolittle. And the name kind of stuck, like, as a nickname throughout my life. So yes. I thought, well, why not? It's brilliant. Thank you. I was my sister to thank for that. She was, um, but yeah, um, I've always really liked. So I've always really liked taking pictures of animals. So I found that that was quite an easy thing to focus on. And um, you know, with when you work, they say never work with animals or children, but I absolutely love working with animals. And the animal <laughs> is the one in control, believe it or not. It's not you. Oh, really? It's, Yeah, the animal will take control of the shoot. If if the animal doesn't want, you have to respect the animal that you're taking photographs of. And if you don't respect them enough, you know they'll they'll just do what they want. So say if if they're in a really sleepy mood, you're not going to get like some really good action shots. No, you can't. (laughs) You can't tell them what to do, can you? you? Come on. I mean. (laughs) And then you know if they're if they're really in an active mode, you're not going to get some really cute like um, laid back shots of them either. So no. kind of the animal dictates the pace, and, and that's <laughs> fine with me. And also then, the, the, I actually rely quite a lot on the owners in the shoot because um, they're they're the person that the animal's got the rapport with. So um, yeah. So doing Dr. Lulittle was fun, um, and I really enjoyed doing that. Um, after that, I then became quite ill with my conditions. Mm-hmm. I was on crutches for four years. Right. And then um, I, looked, I was looking through my archive, and then I sent some of my archival work, some pictures of ravers that I took age 16 to a place called the Museum of Youth Culture. And then they um, chose some of those images to be part of a big dance um, exhibition, which was really good. And uh, that's where we're up to so far. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Thank you. can i ask how old were you when you had your first camera um I, was, I think i was 14 it was about fourteen, fifteen. i had a pentax k1000 uh 35 millimeter and i was learning photography when it was analogs so there was no digital yeah that's what i was thinking around. so i i feel like i'm really glad that i learned to analog because I, when i was studying later on in life um, like do my degree and stuff there was a mixture of analog like film and digital so I feel like because I did it like that crossover time that I found that really helpful yeah. because you couldn't you couldn't waste film you were buying film or getting given film you didn't want to waste that film so you couldn't just mess around you had to work out how things were actually going to look
1: right. with the
2: light with the depth of field and, and mm-hmm. you know you were processing the pictures at school as well so there was when you were in the dark room at school it's so magical when you're printing your own photographs and you see the print you, you see um your print in the developer and the chemicals kind of um, magically appear and there's something really cool about that and that's why I really love photography
1: Uh, yeah I don't blame you so can I ask like how old you were when you had your first art exhibition well photography exhibition
2: photography exhibition um well I probably maybe a level photography that was probably my first one um but proper proper exhibition I would say uh, probably the dance music exhibition in 2015-16 that was um, reviewed by Time Out. It was one of the biggest exhibitions about dance music and the people organising it said they had 55,000 submissions of (gasps) photographs to be part of it and they chose
1: six of my images. So I was really pleased about that. Wow, that's absolutely brilliant. So in the exhibitions that you do, would there be art exhibitions? Is it considered like a crossover? So you'd have art and photography together? Um, it depends on who's cu-
2: curating the exhibition. Oh. Um, so, the exhibition I'm involved in at the moment um, is, is all photography. I'll, I'll speak about that a little bit later. Yeah. I that one of, um, you want to talk about that a little bit later, but
1: yeah. Yes. Um... So, how would you say that like, you got where you are today? Do you think it was like just sheer determination? um sheer determination and also um
2: trying to chase things as much as I can but also listening to my body at the same time like mm-hmm. if you if you'd said to me years ago you, the work that you shot at age 16 will be in seven exhibitions i'd be like what, what? <laughs> <laughs> And what I'm trying to do at the moment um, is get some more work out there to prove that I'm not just known for my rave pictures, like, that yeah. there's more to me than that. Yes. Um, so I'd like to, I've got some work planned about doing some work on invisible disabilities, which yes. I'm quite excited about.
1: Yeah, so it's really difficult, obviously, having a hidden disability and having a career. Um, can you tell us about your experiences as a person living with a hidden disability and uh, what impact your disabilities have on your career?
2: Yeah, so I think it's had a massive impact because the type of disabilities I have aren't kind of like something that you can make reasonable adjustments for in the type of industries I was working in. So say, for example, fashion, um, when you work in the fashion industry, they they sometimes want you to work until 2am in the morning and when you've got a chronic fatigue syndrome your body just can't manage that uh and so
1: that
2: you, and there's no there's no amount of rest breaks that, mm. that can be given so it might be that rather than work in that kind of industry you look at working in, on shorter projects like yeah. that, that you think right I've got this project to do for three days or a week but then after that I can get some rest that might be one way of one way of working around it yeah, um, But I have had, because I look very well, um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a connective tissue disorder, so it affects the collagen. So it can actually give you quite nice skin, which is a really nice <gasps> side effect. Wow. <laughs> so I've, I've been complimented on my skin and a lot of the people with the condition say have, have also been complimented on their skin saying, oh, you've got nice skin and stuff. But wow. the problem is, because you look well, people yeah. don't believe you are you know they just think well you can't be that bad you've got makeup on you've done your hair and it's like what and then the other thing is sometimes I'll use a wheelchair and that's like for for long distances and then if if you get up out of that wheelchair people around you that you don't know they will think they've witnessed a miracle and they're like whoa oh Oh, that's funny (laughs) So it's like, so it's like, well, yeah, you can be in a wheelchair. You know, it's not just paralysed people that are in wheelchairs. So I I try to challenge people and on their beliefs of what constitutes a disability, Mm. and you know, disability in the fashion industry. I think aesthetically we get in there with more appearances from disabled people, which is brilliant. But I think in terms of a career um, point of view from a fashion industry, it would be good to get more acceptance from people working on more short-term projects. Yeah. Um, because some people's disabilities, they can make adjustments, like for some for some it is, is a case of they're in a wheelchair, they just need things on their level, they don't get the variable levels of fatigue that I get, they don't get the flare-ups and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it doesn't affect their immune system like it affects me. So say if I get the flu, I can get it for longer. So it has, it has mass. my disabilities have massively impacted me, um, but I try and find ways around of working and doing things. And the best way around I've found of that recently is to work on my archival work, so I've Got 20 years of negatives that I've shot for like 20 for the whole 20 years worth of of photography. So at the moment, I'm trying to work through those and see how I can get those reworked.
1: Oh my god, that must be quite surprising. Do you ever get one and think, Oh, I I don't remember that one? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Did I take pictures of that? (laughs) You forget. forget. (laughs) Am I right in thinking that your disabilities become harder the older you get?
2: yeah so in my oh. 20s even even though like when I was I was born with it it was kind of they were they said oh you're a hypertonic baby and you're hypermobile so basically um, my mom used to send me to ballet lessons to like strengthen up my joints and do trampolining mm. and stuff but it's things like I used to break my arm I broke my arm on the first day of school I broke my other arm on like a couple of years later so I was constantly injuring myself oh, nice. so you think oh you're just clumsy yeah. whatever you, you you know your bones fix your your soft tissue injuries fix and you think right let's get on with it but then um like I think I, I think it's towards the end of my 20s things kind of got worse because I thought I'm really tired working full-time like yeah. don't, don't, don't do other people not get as tired as this because I thought how do they work Monday to Friday it's like a long time to work yeah and I'd either be really tired or I'd get ill get the flu really quick or get a throat infection and stuff and it's you're just like God, I must be so lazy or so unfit and then I realized um I looked into it more and I just realized that it's definitely the condition rather than just down to me and (laughs) not handling things well so yeah Yeah, because how old were you when you were diagnosed well I was technically I was diagnosed um, officially with Ellis danlos syndrome I think it was when I was in my 30s. And that's quite typical of, of, of people getting diagnosed with Ellis syndrome. They get diagnosed too late, and particularly with females, um, because I think it's more likely for females to get diagnosed with psychological issues mm-hmm. and mental issues, rather. whereas um, men in the medical world are kind of, they get diagnosed quicker because um, they're taken more seriously. So that's another thing I'd like to change about the medical world and the way, you know, females should be listened to just as much as. As men are.
1: Yeah absolutely. Can I also ask were you, were you diagnosed with all three of your disabilities at the same time? No so um, I was diagnosed with hypertonia as a
2: baby then it kind of developed into hypermobility and then they said I got the diagnosis of LS danlos syndrome and then with the chronic fatigue um, when I was seeing the rheumatologist um, at UCLH in London he said you've got chronic fatigue syndrome and then, about, and I, I thought, because um, a lot of the time, medical people say, right, lose weight. The problem is your weight. So I, right, I lost weight. I lost about five stone. Wow, really? And, wow. Yeah. Thanks. And um, I, I still, this, so I was on crutches, and I said, you need to lose weight. That will really help with your uh, joint pain. So it helped a little bit, but I found that even I thought. It, when I was standing I used to sweat quite a lot and my temperature wasn't managed very well mm. and um, even after losing all the weight I'd still um, feel really really hot and I still feel really hot now so what I do is I've seen a cardiologist and they diagnose me with the cardiac condition posterior orthostatic tachycardic syndrome mm-hmm. so structurally my heart is normal and lying down um, I'm absolutely fine so that's why I do a lot of swimming because when I'm lying down you're kind of like um, like flat, basically. So I, yeah. I really love to swim. Oh. But things like walking, walking up the stairs, I'm like, oh, oh my oh, really? <laughs> and it, it's hard to kind of um, get, get your fitness level back after that. I try, tr- keep trying to build it up, but I realise it's actually the condition. So oh, Okay. Is there anything else I can do to help you? Um, I take a beta blocker, and that's to slow the heart down so oh. it's not going as tachycardic. But the mm-hmm. temperature... District, the irregulation and temperature is one of the hardest things to deal with because it's like right. ho- having hot flushes or something all the time or when it's like quite especially in the morning when it's quite humid yeah. um, that can be quite difficult or say if i'm in a club and i want to um dance a bit i'll look like a drowned rat and other people will look like glamorous. oh no <laughs> <laughs> but you know what you do not dance so what i do yeah. is um i take i take a uh, take a stool with me a pop-up yeah. stool that i got off Amazon and that's um really useful to have because I can just pop that up sit down and then pop it back away again and a lot of people have, have complimented me on the yes. stool and how useful it is oh, but I wow. think that's really useful so things like when you're in supermarket queues mm. I, I just can't stand in supermarket queues uh-huh. so I take my stool with me sit down and and it's it's just
1: a lifesaver <laughs> really is. wow you're amazing the way that you've just completely managed to appear like you'll have completely a normal life oh, you know, thank you. You're so inspirational for other people that have the condition thank um, you. I mean being a student must have been quite difficult as well now I know that our listeners would like to hear about the training that you received to become a photographer because I understand you're, you know you went to university so how was it for you?
2: Yeah, so basically, I went to school and did my GCSEs and A levels, and as I was saying before, I had a great teacher called Mr. McKernan. He was awesome, and he encouraged the teenagers to be in a place where they wanted to be. You didn't want to leave the school art room because it was just cool to be in there. Mm. And then, and then went on to do a HND um, in photography, and that mm. was really good to learn about the techniques of photography. So we were looking at things like medium format cameras, large format cameras, using flash, um, using different types of flash, mm. different types. I was using studio lights, so that was a really good time to learn my technique. Mm. And then I went on to do the degree, and because I had the technical stuff behind me um, then, um, I learned. The, I learned in the degree to work on my conceptual. Um, projects more so it's more yeah. about why why what's the reason why I'm taking these photographs what am I trying to say why am I trying to say it what's important about it and what's important what am I trying to get across
1: yeah
2: um so that was good and also because of the time that I was learning it was a I'd say the h we were just starting to look at digital photography and then the degree we were looking at digital photography a bit more it was kind of like I'd, I was learning like both worlds at the same time so analog and digital and that was a really good thing to learn and I think I, I don't know maybe other photographers more younger photographers might find it more difficult now um, learning um, technical like film and um, old kind of style photography but I think it's a really important thing to learn can you get to know lights and how light falls on things and depth of field and things like that
1: yes I was wondering how much it must have actually changed now yeah, it must have changed so
2: much. Um, I mean, it's it's weird now scanning my negatives because I, I shoot on digital now.
1: But I mean, I love I love looking at my negatives and yeah. you know just seeing what you've captured. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Now, I understand that you work for well, you were assistant to the famous photographer John Rankin. Um, now I've seen some of his iconic shoots, including the ones of David Bowie. Uh, what was it like to work with him? Yeah, working for Rankin. Um, he was a nice guy. He was very busy,
2: um, but he did have a lot of time for me and looked through my portfolio once and said, I've got potential. Um, he was kind. He went. He did go through a lot of assistance yeah. um, when he was there. And um, I, I remember I used to have to paint coves. Uh, like the the coves of the photographic studio really bright white paints they're ready for shoots I'd be cutting like transparencies out to send to the press
0: Um, but
2: it it made his his work he's one of the top five photographers that I really like
1: right okay
2: so I like him I like Nick Knight I like David Um. I like Man Ray from the 1940s and 50s Uh he was amazing and also Guy Bourdain, who is a 1980s photographer. So he used to take he was one of the first early uh, colour photography pioneers, and he used to use like a lot of hyper real colour. So it was really, really bright colour. I really liked how his greens looked like AstroTurf, like really like, wow. over the top. So you
1: really had a, a lot of inspiration there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah yeah and also my photography teacher was great as well I mean and just um kind of being around I was I was involved in the rave movement when I was younger so that was different and that was um having fun when we went out and it was a bit of a different scene than say like the, the typical like st- standard nights out that you can get in like the c- city centers like kind of people dancing around in their handbags and blown up condoms yeah. and stuff the rave <laughs> thing was a bit different it was a bit more like had a lot of different influences from other cultures like Uh, Gay culture, um, disco vibes, um, and yeah, like the BDSM scene. So you'd see a lot of people in PVC, and then it would affect things like that, would affect like the fashion that people wore. Um, You'd see that kind of influence
1: coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I remember it well.
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah I've been to a few
1: raves back in the have day, yeah. Yeah. yeah um Lucy, can you tell us about your um disability awareness campaigns? because I understand that you produce projects that challenge people's perceptions of what it's like to have an invisible disability, uh, yeah, so at the moment, I'm working on
2: a project it's still it's still in process. I'm still going to try and produce it it's called um but you look okay and it's basically because that's the catchphrase that I hear from so many people but you oh, look
1: okay it's okay I get that being autistic exactly the same oh you don't yeah. look autistic well okay I don't yeah. have a look well, yet, what but... does
2: autism <laughs> look like you know exactly it's like uh, but you get so much judgment don't you yeah it's you like, do yeah <laughs> you know, like they just I've had some uh, horrible things said from, from our neighbors and stuff so it'd be nice just to have people just more accepting of of um disabilities particularly invisible ones yeah. so the but you look okay project is basically challenging people's perception of what is a disability for instance yes you can wear makeup yes you can do your hair yes you can be you can enjoy activities you know you can swim you can do this you can do that you know it doesn't have to it doesn't you don't have to have a certain thing that you're always stuck in a wheelchair and that's it there's mm. there can be more to it but um as long alongside my um kind of active actors activism sorry yeah Um, I also work as a volunteer for a charity called Ella Stanloss support Mm -hmm. and um, I provide um, support meetings in my local area for other people that have the same condition Um, so I find it really helpful um, to provide meetings for other people to talk with what they have because a lot of them have quite similar experiences and it's important that they get um, a level of support back uh, so we often like talk about things like pain management and we'll all like come up with tips and hacks on what's your best pain management heat pads you know medication mm. uh, massage you know the best way that you can tackle it so it's an opportunity for people that come to my groups to kind of um, have a voice and have a bit of a moan and say look I had this really bad experience but then also to go away with some maybe solutions on whatever the subject matter was if it's pain management if it's how to handle appointments with your doctors, because also managing your doctor's appointments and medical treatment can also feel like a full-time job at times. Mm. And particularly with coronavirus um, still around, it has affected the health um, industry
0: yeah.
2: and the NHS. And um, you know, it's great the NHS the help they give us. It's just sometimes a lot of people have had um, bad experiences, and yeah. it, it can be quite tiring having to advocate for yourself a lot.
1: Right. So what's the age group of
2: the people that would come to your group? So they could be anywhere from like uh, 16, 17 oh. to 50s, 60s. Oh, so you have teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally it's 18 plus actually, but oh, I, will okay. be doing, I will be doing some child friendly uh, meetings yeah. at some point. So
1: yeah. any of them aspiring photographers by any chance? <laughs> <Can> <laughs> I, <don't> I know? <laughs> can I ask you, what advice would you actually give to aspiring and existing photographers with disabilities? Um, I would advise um, not
2: to give up and to do work that you find enjoyable. Um, So if you have like conditions like me where it's very variable, then you can just need surgery all of a sudden. Um, You're going to have some downtime and and just kind of allow your body to have that downtime. But on those sparks of light where you're kind of thinking creatively even though you might not be taking photographs or doing paintings or sculpture or whatever you want to do you can still write down the ideas or express the ideas and just to to kind of not give up um with it to keep on keep on trying and to sometimes the work that will you'll be most successful successful in is work that you never thought you would be successful in like like it kind of like a career sometimes can find you yeah
1: um
2: like I would like I never would have thought it was until I I got involved with the Museum of Youth Culture which I'm really grateful for I never would have thought anyone would be interested in my rave pictures because I thought they're dated then the 90s people wearing sunglasses on their head who wears sunglasses on their head now and it was like you know I just thought well these look so dated no one would want these and then of course there was a 90s revivalist time which we're at the moment where everyone a lot of people are really into the 90s like the rave scene and um they became really popular so I think um just even if you've got like say 5% of your day is doing something creative just just to kind of keep at it and to not um not give up and to just, you know and to accept that your body will have downtime and it will have recovery time and to take care of that body and most of all be kind to your body because your body is your body you you only get one of them so
1: what i also just wanted to ask do you think that maybe if someone's a good photographer you know they have a disability um that these days they can always just upload their work maybe to a website if they wanted to create a website and then they can sort of show their work that way they don't have to actually necessarily go out if they don't feel well enough to sort of go out and approach exhibitions perhaps they could just have a website what what do you think is that like yeah maybe- i mean
2: with photography now Mm. there's
1: so much um
2: thing there's so much photography that's accessible and there's so there's so many ways um, how people can show their work like for instance just on instagram you can show your work and you know it's not even about having expensive photography equipment Mm. you can take such great photographs on your phone um things like using hashtags on instagram and and hashtags on twitter that's a good way of getting your work shown yeah. um to keep on to keep at it and to keep on uh, submitting your work because there's often a lot of free photography competitions that you can enter uh,
0: um
1: yeah i've seen some of those online i had a friend that liked doing photography and she entered a few a few actually amateur competitions and she really enjoyed that oh great that's yeah really good. now yeah. Um, i know that our listeners would love to hear about what you're working on today and what projects you have planned for the future Oh, OK. So at the moment, um, I've just had a there's an
2: exhibition that's launched in conjunction with the Museum of Youth Culture, and that's in Coventry. And that's um, it's called the Grown Up in Britain exhibition. And it's, it's, and it's all about um, what it's like to grow up as a teenager. Uh, so in that exhibition, there's photographs of me as a teenager. There's photographs that I've shot as a teenager some of my rave images. Um, there's also a bag that I used to take out clubbing with me because oh, really? I used to come into, like Ray fashions. So have you still bag. got it or is that an old picture? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's actually there. I saved it. And, oh, did you? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. It's a bag in the shape. I really like uh, creative stuff. So this is yeah. a bag in the shape of um, a speech bubble. That it's, in, it's like a Roy Lichtenstein style oh, that's bag. Lovely. That's lovely. Um, and then also um, they were looking for old, older pictures from different years. So yeah. my mum's got some pictures that were taken by my dad and then... Um, and um, funnily enough, there's also some pictures of my uncle and auntie and they're in drag on holiday. So my my oh, auntie's funny. dressed as a, as a man and my uncle's dressed as a woman. Oh, and really? That, yeah, so there's a good mixture of stuff. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, it's quite a common theme, like um, what's it like to grow up as a teenager? Everyone mm. can kind of relate to it. And I think nostalgia is a really um comforting thing because I think over the past couple of years, we've had quite an unknown... At present and we've had an unknown future so I think a lot of people in lockdown have been looking at nostalgia as quite a comfort and, and looking at things in their past you know whether it's a song an outfit a photograph a memory and that can kind of like influence you and like kind of show you like how how your past has been to kind of influence your future because it oh, shows you yeah. a part of
1: yourself yeah
2: absolutely um, so that, that museum it's a museum or is it an- yeah so basically the Museum of Youth Culture okay. are showing an exhibition at the Herbert Art Gallery um, in Coventry and that exhibition's on for six months it's open now okay six months okay so and it's free free admission as well yeah and there's lots of other photographers there a photographer called Normski, he's and he was one of my inspirations when I was growing up because uh, he used to present a TV program called um, Dance Energy on BBC Two yeah uh, and that, that I was, used to watch that at like 12 or 13 and I used to, he, he was one of the people responsible for getting me into dance music Yeah. Uh, so it's nice that his stuff's there um, there's some other photographers um, some Ray photographers there's, there's people from a lot of different eras there's, there's motorbikes um, there's some really old pictures and you can also submit your own work there as well so if you have any old uh, photographs of you when you're a teenager you can get them scanned and then be part
1: of the exhibition That's absolutely wonderful. Fantastic. Well, Lucy, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you today. And thank you so much for giving up your time to share your inspiring story with our listeners. We wish you ongoing success with your future projects. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to speak to you.
0: ABLE Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Arts Education and Special Needs, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez Del Campo. The introduction music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Arts Education and Special Needs. If you would like to learn more about our work, you can find us online at berkeley.edu slash biaesn or email us at biaesn at berkeley that's l-e-e dot edu